song, dude. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Wow, welcome to you. And- mm-hmm. Amazing morning. This is the Wednesday after ATD, right? Can you see the bags under our eyes? And how <laughs> <we all> are? <laughs> Oof, Chris, how are you? I'm, I'm rocking it. I've recovered from ATD. It was a heck of a journey that we had out last weekend. Yeah. Or last week, I should say. It yeah. felt like the weekend. Wow. Yeah, I only made it one day, unfortunately, but it was good. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, you were there, and I missed you, and I missed Michelle, and I missed the puppy, and if Michelle is nearby, she has to have a cam. Yeah. Michelle, you got to bring yourself and the dog and do a cam. Just poke your head in real quick, because <laughs> we just have to We have to see you. This is Michelle's mug, by the way, I'm doing it. She's the Kermit. <laughs> She's the Kermit fanatic. It's all about me. Hey, Michelle! Woohoo! Yay! Good morning, Michelle! <laughs> Okay, I keep forgetting the dog's name. The dog is Toby. Toby. He goes with us most places, but he skipped ATD this year. Oh, okay. Well, good. I've, I'm glad I didn't see you then because I would have been disappointed. <laughs> I know, right? The dog, the dog actually has more Instagram followers than I do. So. <laughs> I love you guys, but I want to see the dog one of these days. <laughs> exactly, right? He's the fun one. <laughs> Oh, good times. Wow, we have a huge crowd in here today. And by huge, I just mean filled with people that are uh, into what we do in instructional design and L&D and all that craziness. And they are here to see the wonderful and the amazing Brandon Carson. Good morning, sir. (laughs) Good morning. Thank you for having me, Brent. Chris, nice to see you. Brandon, welcome aboard. Um, We're not not hosers, are we? Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I feel like I feel like we know what that means, probably, because that goes back to what, the 80s? Yeah. Uh, true story. They made it completely up. There was no such thing as a hoser as a phrase until uh, until they did that sketch. <laughs> I am so disappointed. It's, it's brilliant. It, it's like they said what we need something. Well, and, and the, the evolution of that sketch, too, was that the, the show would have chunks of time at the end that needed to be filled. So they would improv. The, the, the two of them would improv uh, Bob and Doug at the end just to fill time for the last, you know, from the 21 to the 22 minute mark. So I love um, Bob and Doug. But you know what what Canada really gave us was that trio called Rush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've seen them about 25 times in concert. I go all over the now. Of course, they don't tour anymore, but I, I would go all over the world to see them. So, yeah. Yeah, I could yeah. that. Only a, only a wish of mine, but... Uh, Wait, friend, oh, friend, wait who is Rush? Oh, wow. Okay, we got to set this down. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was hard to escape uh, growing up uh, in Canada in the, uh, in the 80s. It was hard to escape uh, the notion of Rush. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe they'll revoke my citizenship because I wasn't super big into them. Um, yeah. They're a they're a, a flavor that marinates over time, definitely. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. It, it helps when you uh, like watching their documentaries. Kind of solidifies a lot of it too to get a better understanding of why the music kind of took the paths that it did. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. They're the only rock band where I remember being there in California in the audience once, and I'm next to like a PhD student. And you know, next to a complete stoner on the other side. So they're the only band I've known of that kind of brings together the 
the uh, you know the PhD type of folks as well as just the regular headbangers, right? So, <laughs> but yeah, or a headbanging PhD. I'm sure there you go, right? It is the 2000s now. So. <laughs> We don't discriminate on idiotic. Uh. <laughs> oh, okay. Me and Michelle were trying to figure out how does he pronounce that. Is it idiotic or idiocy? Idiocy or both <laughs> <laughs> work. We 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 um, we'll answer to both. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I usually answer to idiot or something like that. <laughs> Although my mom's nickname for me as a kid was little bastard. So there you go. <laughs> I went to first grade thinking that was my, my <laughs> name, so <laughs> come here, you little bastard. <laughs> are your audience, are they coming here for substance? Largely, they come here for substance abuse. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's all in that coffee. It's that caffeinated thing. Uh Oh man! Well, we should probably talk about something that has to uh, do with the work that we do here today. So, let me try to pull us back together. I was looking for a decent segue, but it just—we just went way off the rails. There is no oh. segue other than let's just let's <laughs> rush into this. Yeah, let's do it. Hi, Brandon. <laughs> Good morning. Who are you? <laughs> what do you do? Let's just start over. <laughs> J-Rock. <laughs> uh, hey, now, that's only left up to his mother. <laughs> exactly. There's got to be a lil in, there's gotta be a little in front of that. Kara's, Kara's got the lil. <laughs> She's got it right. It's the... Yeah, Kara and I have met, so she knows. That's your master <laughs> name. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So some people that are in the chat may be here because they know who you are, but others may be here because they may not know who you are, but they're intrigued by your ideas around L&D and di the digital age and the reorienting that we need to do. Just give people a little bit of background on the Brandon Carson story. Well, I have been in this business for quite some time. Uh, gosh, Brent, we've known each other for probably 20 years. Yeah. Uh, so I've been in kind of L&D most of my adult, adult life, which is scary when you think about it but um primarily the first part of my career if you will i was an instructional designer in silicon valley working primarily for tech companies and so you know saw the rise of the internet happen and was actually even before i got into instructional design was in right as the internet hit and boy is that an industry that did not know what was coming and it was interesting being a part of that kind of eruption which really caught us by surprise i remember uh, when when the internet kind of when it started when the internet happened uh, Netscape Navigator was $45 a license and I had to build a business justification Because my boss wanted to know why would we pay for the internet on everyone's computer? So <laughs> kind of started that way and we actually licensed Netscape like a hundred licenses of it for 45 bucks a pop Because uh, you paid for your browser in those days youngins you paid to get to the internet <laughs> um, but then kind of watching that transformation in publishing and then I moved into kind of corporate learning, if you will, from that, from, from doing publishing, we, we published college textbooks and stuff like that. And then moved into the, the tech world with, cause those companies that were hiring at the time, right. 
And uh, so spent a majority of my time as instructional designer, just navigating the tech companies in the Valley, um, and then uh, took on some leadership roles when I got here uh, in Atlanta, moved to, to take on a leadership role in the learning organization at Home Depot, which was going undergoing a transformation. Retail's been hit probably the most from an impact standpoint with the last several years of what we're calling the digital transformation. And so it was really interesting being at one of the top retail organizations and kind of watching that transformation unfold and then figuring out and helping to determine how learning can play a role uh, in you know, advancing the capabilities and capacity of the, of the teams, the employees to support that transformation. So that was really interesting, did four years there trying to navigate that labyrinth of a big legacy company undergoing such a big transformation. So that was really interesting. And then just last year moved over to Delta Airlines to take a larger uh, leadership role on uh, in this industry. And uh, uh, it's been quite, quite an interesting challenge as well, moving from one industry like retail into the airline and transportation industry as well. And to watch some of some of the same things happening as the transformation unfolds. And uh, but there's new there's uniquenesses to this this industry as opposed to retail. But some of the similar are there with how this transformation is impacting these businesses. And so it's got me to thinking lately, just the last uh, probably year, year and a half, as we were coming out of the experience at Home Depot, as I was and as I was going into this one, like, L and D, we, we, we need to rethink kind of how we're oriented. And by that, I mean, where we sit in the organization, what, how we're staffed with our capabilities, our competencies, and how we really do support the really dramatic once in a hundred years probably change going on right now. So that's kind of the conversations I've been having with people as of late. So long answer to a short question. Sorry about that, Brent. <laughs> No, no, it's good. Well, when you've been doing it for as long as we have, it takes a while to. Uh, <laughs> Remember, this is the clue, Brent, to shut me up. Just, yeah, I should have been there. So what? Um, is, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I was going to say, Laura has a, a question, and before we sort of move into the digital transformation itself, Laura's question is kind of about personal transformation. She's asking, you know, where do you gain the confidence to move into different industries? Have you ever felt like you've reached too far? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, I, I, I quite honestly look at myself really more as a learning professional, and so I think I can, you know, I think as a learning professional, I can span uh the ideas of these different types of industries um but that is a question i get quite a bit and i think that having traversed some of these different industries from technology into retail for example and now into transportation it th there are lots of similarities there are three things i think any person in a learning function needs uh, good business acumen good technology acumen nowadays it is what it is and learning acumen and so i think you need those three things and i think quite frankly the industry you're in you can pick that up because there are lots of similarities we're adults and how we learn there's just the dynamics of how the business functions and operates and of course all that is being questioned over the last 10 years anyway with this rise of the digital transformation so i'm pretty confident as 
I understand business, I understand learning and I understand technology. And those are the three things that are going to be there for the rest of the rest of time. Right. <laughs> right. Making that shift is, um, is not easy. I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. Like I, 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 I tend to, it, it always makes me feel very comfortable to hear three simple things like that. And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. can wrap my head around that, right? A lot of times when we're talking about this kind of stuff, sort of the, the big picture, it gets very complicated and convoluted and all the different words and the different things that are talked about from, you know, what do we need to learn about learning? What do we need to learn about e-learning? What do we need to learn about L&D? What's the difference between the two and everything? And so it's nice yeah. to start off when you're thinking about it from that higher, more strategic level and a career perspective, like what um, what she was asking, you know, I think you're right. I mean, each of those three categories is very broad, but yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, but if you but if you focus on something, this it's helpful. Yeah, and I think we're in a unique situation where it's it's a little bit more challenging to be in a corporate L and D function because we span all the lines of businesses, if you will, and a lot of the things I'm doing at Delta span the technical and compliance training, which is FAA regulated, right? So the, the technical uh, knowledge people need to do the job all the way over to leadership development and sort of the essential skills of how to communicate and, you know, be a good leader and like that. And so I, you know, my charter spans all of that. So it is kind of a, um, it's kind of a challenge in some respects, but I think you're right. You know, if you have that understanding of how to, navigate the business, the key element for us in L&D right now is really to try to, at, at every level, because at all in our organizations, we need great And that means that we are going to be leaned upon more. We in L&D are going to be leaned upon more to develop that talent, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think we need a perspective instead of being kind of the order taken. I think that's the big move, the big uh, shift for L&D is to move from that support function to operating like a business. And so at ATD Monday, I was talking a little bit about this topic in my presentation. And I was talking about kind of the, the dark ages of training, which I've talked about a little bit, but I feel like in a lot of ways, we're still in those dark ages. And, and I plea for all of us to make sure that those three things I talked about, that our learning folks are, especially our learning leaders, but the people who are put into, uh, you know, positions where they make decisions at least understand, have a good understanding of the impact of learning. So, you know, let's stop putting just business people in leadership positions and learning functions. And let's make sure those people understand how we learn and how the business operates and, and enough of that technology acumen so that they can successfully navigate this reorientation. Because I honestly think we're at an inflection point uh, in learning where we're going to be relied upon more and more uh, especially from senior leadership in organizations to really help drive that human capability that's necessary for this transformation. So it's a lot of rethinking we have to do in this industry uh, with our with with how we develop folks to be L and D professionals. Yeah, and but we're also um, in in a lot of cases structurally though seen uh, as a department of something that's over here, right? I mean, you're talking about the the core importance of what we do. As helping to you know uh, introduce business transformation, improve results, all those sorts of things. But we also have that traditional, hey, it's there and it's a uh, branching off or an ancillary aspect of HR, and it's over there and it's in, in its in its corner mm -hmm. or whatever.
whatever as well. Yeah. So how do so how do we move from that uh, to to being actually able then to to fulfill the you know the role that you see yeah. we need to do? That's a great question, Chris, and it's really a good observation too. So here's how I think about it. So I was and I was talking to. Are you guys familiar with Chemo Kippen? Oh, he yeah. used to be a CLO, I believe, at Hilton. Okay. Uh, and really is a thought leader and someone I, I follow. Uh, and I was on an ATD forum call or something. I forget what it was. And I was just talking, you know, I was bloviating on about this stuff, right? And one of the things I mentioned was a lot of organizations are now bringing in these chief, these chief transformation officers, right? Or these chief innovation people or someone mm -hmm. to help navigate this transformation that's going on, right? Which is not atypical of what we, do is we think we need to have a person or a role right to kind of lead that effort and and a lot of times that is in marketing maybe sometimes it's chief marketing officer a lot of times it's in your it group so it might be your chief technology officer chief innovation officer maybe in the cio line right so and i was in general and how companies are doing that and uh chemo came in and he's like you know this is where HR really needs to redefine itself because if you think about everything going on with the transformation of business process, globalization, all of the automation in the workplace, all these things happening, um, HR is one really that should be best seated and best defined to drive the transformation necessary because they really are responsible for the people. And at the end of the day, it's the people that are going to drive all of these processes all of this automation and all of this transformation and so that stuck with me when he said that that h needs to claim its seat as the chief driver of innovation across the enterprise which then needs you know requires us the ones that are in hr and in l d to rethink how we operate and how we're organized so to your point chris we're not sort of siloed over here as oh call them when there's a new update because they gotta take the manual and just turn it into click through and an e-learning right so moving away from that transactional kind of way to think about training to embed us into the actual operation as the driver of all the innovation is really uh, a new message for hr leaders to to really kind of take in and figure out well how do we how do we do that? And I think more CEOs are going to start looking at their chief human resource officers and you know their leaders in HR to, to, to help drive that, especially when you look at employee experience, well-being, environment, you know, all these things that make up the workplace. So it's it's that that's that inflection point I talk about is like, when can we start having that conversation? It's already pretty late for us. Now, where do you, um, you mentioned you're in, a, in the operations side of thing, but we're talking about HR and when I, lately when I've been having these conversations with folks um, and we talk about sort of moving that sort of the training idea in more into that L&D world, the more I start to think about maybe it needs to be both. Maybe we as an industry need to be more clear in separating the two and really kind of dividing off into two separate industries, that L&D industry that's a little bit higher level, a little bit more strategic in HR and HR focused. But then there are those other um, training organizations that are connected to the business, right? Totally tied into a product or a mm -hmm. process or a service. And they're just focused on understanding that 
and maybe they roll up into the L&D department. I mean, I don't know if any organization actually structured is structured this way, but how does Delta do it with you? Where do you guys sit sort of in that picture? It is an interesting discussion, and I think that's the reorienting discussion. We need to have that um, discussion because I'm not a proponent of, you know, H&R being this big monstrous organization that has all of it. But if you do look at, and I think it might be unique to the different organizations that we're in, um, I think when you look at kind of how do you get synchronicity, if you will, between acquisition of talent, management of talent, um, and then the learning and development function to make sure people have the capabilities, obviously, that they need, uh, even beyond that into making sure that they're taken care of through retirement and even beyond, because a lot of folks come back in different capacities after retirement. So how do you, that life cycle, right? How do you best kind of manage that, um, if you will, from an organizational structure component. We uh, at Delta, it's interesting because at Delta, there's six different learning functions that are completely separated from each other. And we don't have a, quote, CLO connector, if you will. Uh, so we don't have that one person that sort of is the glue, if you will. So they don't all report up to you then is what you're saying. They, they have their own reporting structure into the businesses and then you yeah actually maybe they should just report all up to me that sounds like fun <laughs> yeah should report up to me you know um no they don't because when you think about it it's like so my organization our team uh we're responsible for all the uh, delta employees that are in the airports across the world mm. so then there's another learning function for the in-flight folks who are the flight attendants and then another function for the pilots, you know, and the flight operations and another function for the reservations agents. And then we have an HR uh, thread as well. But we do have a, a learning council, you know, which is kind of like a Star Wars thing where we wear dark robes and we come together every every quarter to like solve all the world's problems. Um, so we are connected, but we are running such distinct kinds of businesses, if you will. So we are learning organizations that are in the operations that we work with and so the there's good and bad right the good is we are really connected to the needs of the business um and we're not um distracted maybe that's not the right word but we're not concerned too much about the overall kind of hr types of things we have those threads through the council if you will so the great thing is we're connected to our audiences However, it is a challenge to keep that thread connected and make sure the employee experience across all divisions of the company are consistent and, you know, as world class as possible. So yeah. I've been in organizations, most of the learning functions in, in the technology companies I worked in are like that kind of federated model. Most of them were like that. And, uh, and then at Home Depot, we were all in one HR organization which uh, handled uh, learning for the enterprise as well as talent management and really connected to acquisition. So there were really good things about that structure as well. So I think the dynamics really depend upon the type of organization you have. At, at Home Depot, we were at a really large scale because we supported hundreds of thousands of employees. In, in Delta, it's a smaller scale of, from the number of employees, but it's a much more complex operation. So I think that when I say orient, I think that's exactly what we need to do in L&D is make sure that we're not married to these 
ideas of, of where we add value, right? And, and, if, and if the organizational structure demands us to have more agility, then we need to, re we need to understand that and really uh, help drive the change in how we are oriented to support that properly, so. Yeah, I was thinking from a from a digital age perspective, so um, so that's kind of structurally talking about that. But when we talk about the digital and the technology, how does that play into this need for us to reorient? I mean, I think we all kind of get it. We've seen the disruption in you know the easy stories to lean on are the news industry or the the music industry has changed so much because of the digital age and all that kind of stuff. But um, what are we seeing? that is causing our need to reorient? What is digital doing to us? Yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's three things to think about, right? So there's this idea of what the digital mindset is. And so there's no business un, unmet with this challenge at any level, right? And, and um, when you think about that digital mindset, there are really three Three technologies, I think that uh, I'm sorry. I looked down at Kara's comment, and she's <laughs> it's all in threes, Kara. I'll tell you. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, I was distracted by her because her thread's really funny. Um, there's really the big three, Kara. Here are the big three. Are you ready? Are you ready for the big three? So, from a technology standpoint, there's AI, there's the cloud, and there's data science. Right? That those three things right now together are driving, they're the, they're the foundation, the infrastructure, if you will, of this change, this transformation going on, right? Those are gonna continue to change how we live and work for decades to come, right? So from a talent development strategy, our number one goal has to be, how do we build that digital mindset in our people, in our talent, right? In our organizations that, um, can embrace and be able to um, uh, leverage these technologies, if you will, in advancing the business. So from now on, every, and this is the funny thing, every worker at every level will be interfacing with technology to do their job. Bottom line, that's, that's kind of decided, right? And so a digital mindset's really about helping the workforce build the skills they need through a, you know, a personalized development plan that's really all around how they leverage those digital technologies. So that's our, at least in my opinion, that's our responsibility in LD to make sure we can help the talent base that we uh, represent build that digital mindset because that is incumbent upon the workforce to be able to advance the business. And I think a lot of our leaders, and I, and I see this like recently, I was doing a webinar for HR leaders and I talked about AI kind of at a high level, but I went in a little deep with the types of artificial intelligence and kind of some of their underlying technologies. And it was woo -hoo, way, way gone. Right. And, and I'm not a, and I'm not a technologist, right. I'm just someone that's really trying to understand. I'm not an engineer. Right. And so even the level I went to, really uh, made these HR leaders kind of take a pause. And so I think a lot of this digital mindset, if you will, is mm -hmm. taking us by quite frankly, surprise. Yeah. And now it's incumbent upon us in, in HR, L&D, uh, to, to really understand 
at least at a level that makes sense, right? How these drivers are impacting the business. Um, so I think there's those things. And then I think second, and just cut me off Brent if I'm going on, but secondly, the, the painfully slow and ridiculously archaic process of acquiring talent is to come to an end. I don't know if you guys have recently applied for a job somewhere, but this ridiculous Ness has got to come to an end. The, the constant swirl with these recruiters and with hard-coded resumes and with interview after interview after interview and with these personality tests. And recently, a colleague of mine was having to take a math test for an HR job. And so I think we have to uh, recognize there's a massive war for talent going on right now. Yeah. And you are being ridiculous if you're putting people through this arcane months long sometimes process just to get them on. Eric Schmidt from Google said, look for courage and persistence and then hire them and get them in your company and then figure out what to do with them. So I think we, we need to target the right development areas. We need to invest more in acquiring the best talent. Um, and then I think uh, we, we need to keep a sharp focus on the human element in all of this, right? And make sure that uh, we pre humanity of work as we go forward. So I think those three things are really what's key for L&D and HR to focus on under this transformation we're going on. So I'm sorry, I kind of went off there a little bit off my soapbox now. <laughs> Back to Kermit. The, uh, the chat's been absolutely brilliant. Um, and although I don't want to jump uh, away from the current thread, Kara did uh, talk, toss in a question in the official question panel as well, um, asking about your experiences, um, you say, in moving from, uh, you know, being in the trenches of making stuff to, uh, you know, a leadership role like being in a, in a CLO, uh, you know, lessons learned, things that you, things that, things that you noticed along the way that other folks might, uh, might find helpful. Uh, in in the trans in the movement from yeah moving from being the say a maker down in the trenches Kara's uh, uh, phrase yeah. down in the trenches to to being then someone in a in a leadership role yeah and I think that's where keeping a sharp focus on the human component is is really necessary I, again those three things you know back to Kara's trio thing uh, are are key for for leaders. Um, but I think there's that, that what Eric said about being courageous and persistent. Uh, what I find now in the leadership roles that I've been in most recently is really making sure that you understand that, um, that people focus, right? And that you are sharply focused on, on the people. And that's from a, uh, you know, from making their job doable from reducing the barriers, cutting through all the swirl that that happens in day to day, right? You you really need to be the defender at the gate to make sure people have the the uh, assets, the resources they need. That's key, right? You, you really have to have a good focus on making sure that your people are your first focus. That's and if you're you know and if you're not a people oriented person coming in, you'll quickly become one, especially with these larger teams, because you need to keep that focus going. Um, and then I think there's that that persistence element. And one thing I've noticed, especially in some of these more matrixed or, or large organizations where you have to navigate a lot of different layers to get to the things that, you know, to get to decisions and stuff like that. that that's what I mean by persistence. You, as a leader, you need to be really persistent in having one, having a perspective. So get a strong perspective on what you can 
uh, really achieve in a certain amount of time, right? The dynamics of the culture and the organizational structures and all of those things will will are, are somewhat impenetrable in some respects. And so once you figure that out, then you have to figure out how to navigate that to get to the decisions you need and to get to the right people that you need. So it's sort of building those relationships so that you can navigate through that labyrinth, if you will. And, and I think that's the job of the leader is to really have a strong focus, a strong perspective on what's important for the business and the organization and the teams you lead. And then, and then really just put yourself out there and try to try to do the best you can do team. So it's the, the funny thing for me, moving from maker to, I, I kind of like to think of it as moving from the doer to the translator, to the architect, if you will. Once you're at that architect level, then you've really got to take uh, a step back in some ways and make sure that you have perspective for your team uh, that's also compatible with the culture because your primary job is to advance the culture, right? So yeah. I hope that answers you. You mentioned a couple of times the uh, you know the importance of keeping the you know the humanity of work, and I think what also what you're describing it really it ties in with that whole idea of manager as um, uh, you know the service of, of managing that you are serving uh, you know the people that that you're that you're in, in charge of um, rather than just you know pushing etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, right. It's a delicate uh, balance, right? You want to find that um, that need to, or you want to find that way you can sort of build that trust because that's the, the number one key thing you need to do with the team is figure out how you build that trust. And it's also quite challenging coming in from the outside. So to go back to sort of that question about uh, navigating the different industries, also coming into an organization outside, especially one like Delta, which is, you know, that's almost a hundred year old company. And so pulling someone in from the outside at a leadership role is 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 challenging for both the the folks that this person's going to lead and that leader themselves because there is a a period of assimilation if you will on the culture and to make sure that the leader coming in can actually not only assimilate well to the culture but also become an advance you know a person who can advance that culture and so that's that can be quite a challenge um and jonathan go ahead brent oh no i was just gonna say um uh, I, uh, I've been wanting to ask you this question for a while, and every time you and I chat, I always forget, uh, <laughs> especially when we're in public forums. But, you know, since you're at that level of CLO and you've worked your way through those different transitions, right, from instructional designer, you know, the, the doer to uh, architect, there was one in the middle there, I can't remember what that one was, but, uh, you know, and moving your way up through that management level, as you look back, I mean, when we when we were in the trenches, right, years ago, being an instructional designer was very different, I think, than it is today, right? It, it, along with all of this change, it's changed a lot. And since I think, I'll make it a, a really, you know, quick assumption here, and that most of the people that hang out with us are in that doer role. Maybe we've got some a few managers here, but most of the folks here are doers. And if, you know, you were to look back and you know or right now what do you expect today as a as a leader at that level what do you expect from the doers in our industry to help you get those things accomplished that we're trying to do when we're reorienting how can they help maybe i guess mm -hmm. that's a question um no it's a good it's a good question and i i re, you know that i think that's kind of both a, a help and a hindrance for me coming from 
you know, moving from instructional designer to team leader, right? And organization and department leader. Uh, because yes, I have a great understanding of what's involved in what we do. So I think that's key because, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that go, oh, why you know, do that in three days, right? Kind of thing. Um, and, and I understand what goes into it. At the same time, that's a little bit of a hindrance because you can have some of that kind of, uh, you know, micromanaging total control because you have a perspective and you kind of want it done a certain way. So I think the biggest lesson for me, and, and I struggled with it for quite a while, was to one, let go of my ego. So I think the biggest thing, especially a servant leader can do coming in is, is you got to just get, let go of your ego, trust the people that are on your team that are quote, those doers, right? The people that are really driving the programs or the projects and, 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 but at the same time, be able to impart the vision of where you, where you see things going. Right. And, and, and I think the, the struggle I have as a leader is being able to impart that vision in a way that can be translated appropriately to someone's day to day. And I think that's what I'm still working on. And that that's a challenge. Um, but it's been it's been a little bit of a hindrance understanding how the instructional design, design process works for me as I moved into leadership roles, because I kind of want to get down in there sometimes and, and muck it up, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and I learned when I do that, I just screw things up for people. Birth uh, <laughs> is a leader who would have no idea about the process. I guess there's good and bad with both. Right. Um, yeah. But I think that's the biggest the biggest challenge. And, and I have enough openness on my team where folks feel safe and comfortable enough to say, okay, you know, my team will do that to me as well. Just shut it, (laughs) shut it down, trust us, let us do this and and get this done. So I I think that's, you know, two of the lessons learned for me. Yeah. I was just going to say how, what's the, what's the best way for them to approach you? And if any of your employees are listening, this, this would be valuable for them. But I think in general, when we go, because I know a lot of instructional designers do have that ability to scale up and to think strategically, and they really want to go to the CLO and say, why can't we do this, right? Or why don't we, you know, do this type of a, a thing? What's the best way? What can we learn besides learning how to do this to ourselves? Uh, <laughs> right. Well, that's great. I, pair it, I pair it one of my previous leaders. Her name was Kelly Palmer. Uh, and you know, usually I get something from every leader, good or bad, right? You remember your bad ones, but you should also remember the things that are good. And mm-hmm. I remember Kelly Palmer told me when we were at Sun Microsystems and she was my manager there, uh, she, she, I was like moaning and groaning about something because I was doing an instructional design program. And she, she just looked at me and she paused and she said, Brandon, anything is possible. Just let me know what you want to do. And so the way I that kind of stuck with me because that actually motivated me as an individual contributor. Wow, my boss is saying, bring it right and let's figure it out. And so with my team, I'm kind of and you'd have to ask them, but I, I hope I can have that kind of feeling because I think everyone's a leader. Right. So everyone can be a leader at any level. So I'll say, you know, like on our recent program around our leadership development academy that we're building, I kind of help set the framework. This is what the business thinks they need. As learning professionals, this is what we're actually going to do. What do you guys think? And and then take this and make it happen. And so they took it and made it happen. And it became actually something a little different than I thought it would be when I originally sort of tried to impart the vision. And I'm fine with that because 
they're all leaders with quite frankly more tenure than me in the organization so they know how some of this stuff really works so i think it's just taking the best of that doer translator architect really having that openness and collaboration and letting go of your ego as a leader and inviting people in to have a discussion now at the end of the day you as the leader may have to make a decision and you've got to drive and people like that when leaders make decisions but having that openness and that transparency to be able to have those discussions with leaders at all levels in your department or organization is key i think otherwise they're just sort of you know workers just you know doing assembly line stuff and you don't want that especially in today's world well and especially in our world where the ability to affect change becomes so important that you simply can't just punch out widgets uh, right. of learning exactly yeah. it's just a unique profession that has again those three things you everyone needs to kind of have those three things and this profession is really undervalued in some respects it's difficult it is probably the most difficult task in any organization to help transfer knowledge from one human to another and we don't get enough credit for that i don't think we get enough we're, we're undervalued i think and we're sort of looked at as those geeky people over there or whatever but I would argue that the learning and development function is the most important function in any organization. It can't run without us because we build capability. We transfer that knowledge. And so I think we need to, and I, I know a lot of people don't like this. We need to take our seat at the table, you know, but we need to definitely have a strong perspective at every level that, hey, this job ain't easy and we're good at what we do and let us lead some of this stuff and not just be the order taker, right? Yeah. And I think that's a fantastic spot for us to end on today. We don't want to go the, the whole hour, Brandon. We like to cut this a little short because as you can see, people are getting ready for their meetings that they have to get off to already. So Kermit says happy Wednesday, right? Yes, it's a happy I, want my, I want my mug. I want, where's my mug at? Yeah, it's coming. It's I, I, coming. Did Sierra drop it in the mail? <laughs> I think I need to give her my address. I think it's my fault. Yeah, we'll get you that. We'll get you that. It's on the way. Sure. Cool. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Never will be on the way. <laughs> the wheels are in motion. Let's put it that way. <laughs> the mugs are in motion. Yeah, the mugs are in motion. So where can people Very get cool. you, Brandon, if they want to uh, see one of your presentations or if they want to just chat with you or just connect? Where, you mean? Yeah, yeah. How can they get a hold of you? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously, but my email is pretty simple. Brandon.Carson at Delta.com. I love having discussions on LinkedIn. I post some provocative stuff every now and then. Mm -hmm. I've started a new like Facebook page for just my professional thing, and I'm having some trouble kind of dealing with that. I don't know, but it's there as well. Um, but LinkedIn is, is really where I spend a lot of my time with the, the discussion around these types of things. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be out in Arizona in June um, with the, uh, the CLO Forum Spring. Yep. Uh, so going to talk a little bit about this there as well. And then um, and then I'm I'm all around, usually around ATD uh, stuff, you know, stuff like that. So I'm there. But LinkedIn is really the place where, you know, Toby, my dog, has more Instagram followers. So I don't, I don't do a lot there. <laughs> but so far, I have more LinkedIn followers than the dog does uh, there's there as well so that's where i tend to kind of gather if you will 
no, it's a good place, and I can uh, I can attest there are some good conversations going on there on your LinkedIn uh, page. The the provocative conversation I think is necessary. I think it helps gets people thinking about stuff. So yeah, it's I was save as on those. It's really good stuff. But yeah, let's converse there. Yep, sounds good. Cool. Sounds good. Well, that brings us to a close today, Chris. Anything else before we go? No, we've covered so much and it's been such a great session today, Brandon. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Chris and Brent. Thank you so much. Awesome. Hey gang, let's dance our way out of Wednesday and uh, have a great rest of your day, guys. Guys. Everybody take care. Mug effects. <laughs> mug shots. <laughs> my mug wipe. <laughs> <laughs> Volume here.